What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, we're back. It's been yes, a while. Sir. We I know. were on hiatus, but we're here. I know. Finally, we got some things to talk about. It's just unfortunate that the last couple of times we've been trying to sit down and record, we weren't able to make it work. Obviously, uh, we had Fourth of July uh, this past what day or two ago. And yeah, just kind of like the lead up to before then, just I wasn't able to work it out with my schedule, but we're all past that. We're finally back in the booth and we have some NBA free agency to go over. That's really kind of the main topic of today's episode. Uh, basically, just to kind of give you guys a, a quick summary of what we're going to dive into, it's going to be pretty short and concise. We're just going to do a roundup of what we've seen from free agency within the NBA so far. Um, granted, we didn't really put out much content last week when a lot of these deals were made. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're a little bit late on that and I apologize for that. Cause a lot of that had to do with just my schedule kind of being all over the place for the last week or so, but we'll hit on pretty much the big teams that made the most moves up to this point. And granted free agency is still ongoing. There still will be trades that could be potentially made within the next couple of days or so. Uh, there's plenty of rumors circulating around Damian Lillard. Um, what looked like a potential trade to Miami just a couple of days ago with Dame. Now there are multiple suitors looking at Dame to potentially add him on to the roster. The Spurs are looking at Dame. Even the Boston Celtics are looking at Dame. It'll be very interesting. To see, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of days. But it seems at this point that Damian Lillard has played his last game as a Portland Trailblazer. But obviously. Time will tell, and we'll kind of see how things go on from this point forward. And honestly, like when it comes to free agency, well, Kevin and I will basically do what we can to pick some of the winners from free agency so far. So there's been a lot of movement within the NBA over the last week, and Kevin and I will pick essentially our winners from free agency up to this point. And then really to round out the episode, uh, we'll go over UFC 290 upcoming this weekend. It's going to be a big card in the UFC. It's International Fight uh, fight Week. We have two championship fights in this specific UFC card this upcoming weekend. We've got Alexander Volkanovski going up against Yair Rodriguez. That is a unification uh, title match, so that'll be very interesting to see. And then we also have Brandon Moreno uh, with another title fight. That will be the second title fight of that UFC 290 card. So it's going to be a very exciting UFC 290 card this upcoming weekend but that's pretty much going to be the rundown for what we have in store for you guys today so i'm going to pull up essentially what has been going on within the nba free agency within the last week or so so kevin if you'll just allow me the floor i'll, I'll basically just kind of cover like a, a summary of where teams have kind of made some moves over the last week or so so just to kind of give you guys the landscape um I'll go over some teams. I'm not going to go over every single team just because I think that would take too long. But I'll start with the Bucks, just because the Bucks made some decent moves to retain some pieces uh, on their roster. They were able to re-sign Chris Middleton to a three-year, $102 million contract. They were also to re-sign Brooke Lopez to a two-year deal, almost made $50 million off of that contract. Um, and they were also able to sign Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley played with the Lakers 
last season a little bit. They signed him to a one-year deal. It'll be very interesting to see how Milwaukee is able to retain uh, their stance in the Eastern Conference after they got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs last year. But nonetheless, the Bucks were able to retain most of their core from last year, and we'll see what happens with them going forward. Kev, I, Kev, I see what, what you got in your mind, bro. The Mavs yeah. got Thibel. Oh, they did? Yes. Breaking well, news. Matisse Thibel will sign a three-year contract offer sheet within the $33 million range for the Mavs. We can't. He's going to sign it with the Mavs, but can Portland still match him? I believe Portland has an opportunity to match for sure, but I don't see them matching $11 million a year. There's, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do that. So if you had to put it, you think it's like 100% certainty that he's going to Dallas? I wouldn't say 100%. Obviously, at the end of the day, Portland can decide, you know, Dame is leaving. We're going to have a whole lot of cap space. Screw it, we'll keep Thibel. But are they going to really win with Thibel, Anthony Simon, Scoot Henderson? Like, is Thibel really going to be that that moving piece for them? Like, would they, would they leverage him in a trade package for Miami or Philadelphia or whoever? You know what I'm saying? Like... I don't know, but right now it's a three-year deal, so I don't know if Portland's willing to give him three years. Mm-hmm. So I'll take another wing defender, and we got Grant Williams today. Nico Harrison is out here, man. I just told Kyle if we get Thibault, that's a B plus for me in this offseason so far. We still got moves to make, and Nico, we trust. Sorry for now, for now. But I, I saw Kevin's reaction. Uh, I could see Kevin's reaction from the Discord side of things when we're uh, recording, and uh, he was giving little fist pumps on the side. So I knew he was a little bit happy. I knew it had something to do with either like the Mavs or the Yankees or something. So I'm glad Finally, that uh, an off season I can be proud of. I know because really about a couple of days ago it wasn't looking like that. But uh, we'll, don't get me started. I was we'll, in a dark place. We'll, we'll get to the Mavs in a little bit because I know you have yeah. some things to say about them, but um. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Bucks just to kind of get back on track. Um, they were able to retain some pieces uh, from last year, and we'll see how it works for them going into next year. Uh, when it comes to the Cavs, the Cavs are another team that I think made some decent moves in free agency so far. Uh, they were able to re-sign Karis LeVert. They also were able to sign Max Struess from the Miami Heat. They signed him to a four-year deal. I believe he's getting somewhere around $60, $65 million. I think the number might be 64 to be exact on that one, so... They had a decent three-point shooter to their roster to uh, coincide with Donovan Mitchell. So it's definitely something to look out for in Cleveland this upcoming year. Uh, we did talk about Boston uh, the last episode that Kevin and I recorded. Uh, the biggest move that they made was uh, getting Chris Porzingis. But they've also had some pieces uh, leave within the last couple of days. Uh, like Kev said, uh, Grant Williams is no longer a member of the Boston Celtics. He was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. I wouldn't be surprised if Boston makes some more moves over the next coming days. I know that they've been tied to some Damian Lillard trade rumors over the last couple of days. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Boston is still active in this free agency period. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the sweepstakes for Dame at this point. But we'll definitely keep an eye out for Boston. Um, we look at the... I'll actually go to the West here for a second. Um when it comes to free agency, I don't know if this really coincides with uh, the Kings per se, but the Kings were able to retain some decent pieces from last year. They were able to sign 
uh, DeMontis Sabonis to a five-year, $217 million contract extension. It's absolutely huge for them just because Sabonis has been a really big piece for them over the last couple years alongside De'Aaron Fox. They were also able to get Harrison Barnes on a contract extension. I believe he signed for a three-year deal upwards of $54 million. And they also got Trey Lyles and Alex Lynn, uh, Alex Lynn on some team-friendly contracts. So it seems like the Kings have a pretty good core going into next year, and it's going to serve them well, potentially for the next couple of years, just because of the youth that they have on their roster. And then we'll kick it to the Lakers. The Lakers were active in this free agency period, to say the least. They were re-signing players left and right. Granted, there were some players that did leave. Uh, Dennis Schroeder was one of those players. Malik Beasley was a name that I mentioned. He went to the Bucks. But just to go over some of these contracts that the Lakers were able to acquire or they were able to sign over the last couple of days, Austin Reeves, his name was really up in the air whether or not that he was going to stay with the Lakers. He signs on a four-year, $56 million contract. He's going to be with the Lakers for the next couple of years. They also re-signed Rui Hachimura. Hachimura was really somebody that stepped up big for the Lakers in the playoffs last year. He was a huge pivotal piece that got them to the Western Conference Finals. They also re-signed D'Angelo Russell. When it comes to D'Angelo, D'Angelo had some good moments with the Lakers, but in the playoffs, he had some up-and-down moments. And in the Western Conference Finals, uh, he was pretty much a no-show. He did not really play particularly well in that Western Conference Finals series against the Nuggets. But the Lakers have the confidence to bring him back into the fold next year. We'll see how it works out with him in the fold. But one of the, the biggest moves that I think the Lakers made this offseason was assigning Gabe Vincent from the Miami Heat. They got him on a three-year, $33 million contract. And when you look at what Gabe Vincent was able to provide for the Miami Heat, he was a pivotal piece that led the Miami Heat to an NBA Finals appearance against the Denver Nuggets. Granted, it didn't work out for them in the finals when they lost to the Nuggets, but nonetheless, the Heat were largely led by Jimmy Butler, but you can make a very good case that Gabe Vincent made a huge presence with what he was able to bring to the court night in and night out during that playoff run. And then some other moves that they made, uh, they signed Torian Prince, uh, Cam Reddish, and Jackson Hayes to improve their depth as a whole going into next year. So the Lakers look to be a relatively competitive team going into next year. Uh, like I said, they made it to the Western Conference Finals this past year. Depending on whether or not that LeBron and Anthony Davis stay healthy, it looks like the Lakers have a pretty good core roster going into next year. Um, I'll dive into uh, Kev's Dallas Mavericks here for a second, just because the Mavs have been active, to say the least, over this offseason so far. I think probably one of the more surprising developments that we've seen from the Mavs is that they were able to re-sign Kyrie Irving. Now, Kevin and I have been talking about this for months at this point where we didn't actually expect Kyrie Irving to re-sign with the Dallas Mavericks, especially after the Mavericks missed the playoffs last year where the Mavericks really kind of fell off in the last, I'd say, Kev, what would you say? The last 10th of the year, maybe the last quarter of the year. Would you yeah, say? I'd probably say the last last quarter of the year, realistically, because we got Kyrie with about 25 games left in the year, and he only played 20 because of injury. So, nonetheless, I mean, obviously when it comes to Kyrie, he's a huge scorer. He could score at will, but defensively, they really kind of gave up a lot of points on the back end, and unfortunately, that kind of hurt them with them missing the playoffs entirely. But nonetheless, the Mavericks have made plenty of moves. Uh, this offseason, like I said, Kyrie getting re-signed. Uh, they were able to sign Steph Curry to a relatively team-friendly deal. 
Did I say Steph? Steph. <laughs> oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> if we signed it, Steph Curry, I don't know how. I don't think I'd be I, here right I, now. I, I'm glad you caught me on that one. But no, they uh, they signed Steph's brother, Seth. Yeah, they signed him to a relatively team-friendly deal. I think that was, what, a two-year? It's around like a $10 million deal, correct? Somewhere something like there. that, where it was like four and a half a year or something like that. And then, obviously, they traded for Grant Williams. And then we'll see what happens with Matisse Thibel with that contract sheet. So Portland has two days to match. When it comes to Dallas, like I said, Dallas has been relatively active. And I think right now, I think it's a safe position to say that this team looks to be in a better position going into next year compared to where they finished off last year. Uh, the Nets, I'm going to keep this one relatively short. The Nets, they were able to get Cam Johnson on a four-year uh, contract extension, got him over $100 million on that deal. They also signed Dennis Smith Jr. and Lonnie Walker to team-friendly deals. I think both of those guys signed for under $3 million each on their one-year deal. So the Nets had a lot of moving pieces this past year, but they had some really good bright spots uh, from that trade. Cam Johnson was one of them. I think really one of the biggest uh, spotlights or highlights from the Nets last year after all those trades were made with KD going to Phoenix and Kyrie going to Dallas was Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges really stepped up and really became one of the focal pieces for Brooklyn last year. We'll see whether or not that they could continue that. Uh, the Nets still have a relatively young core of players on that roster, and we'll see how they transition going into next year. Outside of that, there's really only probably two more teams that I'm going to focus on here. That's going to be the Phoenix Suns and maybe like the Golden State Warriors or the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, the Suns have been active to add some depth to the team just because when it came to the Suns last year, they ran a really tight ship especially in the playoffs. And there was a huge discrepancy from the output that the bench was scoring compared to what the starting five was putting out there just because the Phoenix was so top-heavy with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. But their bench was anemic, to say the least. And just to kind of go over some of the contracts that they've added going into this upcoming season, uh, they signed Eric Gordon. They signed uh, Drew Eubanks. They got Damian uh, Lee, and I think they also signed, uh, what was that the guy's name? Uh, Utah Watanabe? The lefty from Brooklyn. From Brooklyn. I know he can kind of hit, hit some three points. Uh, yeah, he's, he's like an over then. 40%. He's an over 40% three-point shooter, and in the corner, I think he's 52%. Like, Kevin Durant went out of his way to shout him out when he was still in Brooklyn to say, like, this boy could play. Like, he could shoot the lights out. So he gets to kind of rekindle with KD, and obviously, you know, Phoenix gets a sharpshooter because that kid don't miss. Yeah, and when it comes to Phoenix, it's pretty safe to say that their starting five is relatively solid. They also added Bradley Beal um, to the fold as well. Kevin and I had talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So it seems pretty simple to me that the, the Suns are looking for bench depth at this point. They're definitely going to need it because just from a scoring perspective, they were just not getting production from their bench. And I think that there are some moves here that could potentially bolster their bench depth going into next year, but time will tell when it comes to the Suns. The Suns, like I said, they're stacked. They got some all-stars on that starting five, but it's not necessarily going to correlate to what the bench is producing just based off of what we saw last year. When it comes to the Warriors, really the biggest signing that they had was re-signing Draymond Green to a four-year, $100 million contract extension, or was it an extension? They just signed it because he was a free agent. Yeah. And then when it comes to the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves 
Uh, they signed Anthony Edwards to a max contract. It's a five-year, $260 million deal. They also signed Naz Reed. Uh, they signed uh, Shake Milton from the 76ers, if, if I'm yeah. correct. They signed him on a two-year, $10 million deal. So there's been a lot of money spent in Minnesota over the last couple of years just between Naz Reed, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. The amount of money that they're spending between those three players On is absolutely bigs. ridiculous. It, the payroll for the, those three players in particular is just absolutely uh, insane. And now you're Anthony, you're adding Anthony Edwards into the fold as well with his mass contract extension. So basically, that's kind of what I'll limit it to when it comes to uh, the free agency moves that have been made. I, I could talk about the Rockets signing Brett Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, but I'm not really going to go too much into depth. On that one, the Rockets, as far as I see, are still behind the eight ball in the Western Conference. Uh, they were one of the worst teams in the NBA this past year, but they did make some moves to at least look somewhat more competitive than this past year. So we'll see how it works out for them. So, Kev, now that you, you kind of have the landscape to work with here, granted, this is just what we've seen up to this point, and there will be more moves made by some of these teams over the next coming days or the next coming weeks, I should say. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these teams really become more competitive than what they are right now if there's some potential moves that are made over the next couple of days or so. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, which teams do you think have improved the most since free agency has started over the last week or so? I mean, I'd probably have to go with Cleveland. They got some shooters out there. Obviously, they're still trying to figure out what they're doing with their big in the situation with Jared Allen, so they could acquire more. There's a lot, a lot of rumors circulating. I know that I just talked about this a minute ago, but Jared Allen coming over to Dallas in exchange for maybe JaVale McGee and Tim Hardaway Jr. and some other pieces. So that would get them another shooter that would replace them with a cheaper big than Jared Allen. So again, I don't know what's going to happen there, but going and adding Max Struess, going and adding Niang, both of them are over 36, 37% three-point shooters. And, you know, they go and they bring that added depth for that offense to which struggled when Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell were not putting out what they needed to. Uh, maybe the Brooklyn Nets, they go and they get some some guard depth with Dennis Smith and, of course, uh, Lonnie Walker. And then my boy Cam Johnson gets paid. Somebody that can go out there as a good perimeter defender and also a good volume shooter, someone who shoots efficiently from the three-point line as well. So... Uh, Eastern Eastern Conference wise, there um, the Lakers are probably for in the West for me. I would have to say just because the Lakers fully reloaded, they got younger. Um, Jackson Hayes is a big signing that I like. Obviously, you go out there and when you go and acquire pieces like Gabe Vincent and others, that's going to go and add some depth because Gabe Vincent is a two way player. You bring back D'Angelo Russell. You bring Brat. You bring back um, Vanderbilt, who's a great on ball defender. The Lakers did what they needed to do to retain their competitive nature. They just went to the Western Conference Finals last year, and they struggled. Obviously, when you go up against the Denver Nuggets, you're going to need to combat them with something different, a different look, and they did just that. Uh, I'm trying to think. Another Western Conference team, I, I don't want to sound biased, but it's like Dallas right now, With if Matisse Thibault does stay, like if Portland does not match, we got two solid wing defenders in Thibault and Grant Williams who are good on-ball defenders and can shoot from above 35 to 38% from the three-point line. I think Matisse shot 37% in Portland in his 20-some-odd games after he was traded to uh, Portland from Philly. Grant Williams, I just told Kyle, he's a, a almost 40% three-point shooter over the last two seasons. So that's someone that can defend on ball and hit you some timely shots. Then you go and you draft Derek Lively out of Duke. 
unfortunately. That's where he went to college, but he was one of the best shot blockers, if not the best shot blocker in this draft and in the nation last year. So somebody who can protect the rim that's learning from Tyson Chandler. And again, like I said, we are still looking to acquire a big, whether that's Jared Allen, um, Zubach over there in, in, in L.A. for the Clippers. So we are making strides. We're offloading bad contracts like we did with Bertans on draft night. We just got rid of Reggie Bullock and sent him to San Antonio. We're looking to get Tim Hardaway off the books in a trade. So... If we can continue to create cap space, continue to get bad contracts off, we're also getting younger. This may be the best lineup that Luka has played with thus far, while at the same time now having a full season to play with Kyrie Irving. I think now we can actually focus on getting those to the ball, putting us in positions to win, and also playing competitive nature defense. So we'll see what happens, but I would probably say the Lakers won free agency from a overall standpoint with all the pieces that they acquired for the good prices that they paid, and then the Dallas Mavericks in the Western Conference. And then Eastern, like I said, Cleveland, definitely also going to be Brooklyn for me. There's a lot of spinning news. There's a lot of reports that going around with Damian Lillard. Obviously, he may go to the Eastern Conference. He may stay in the West. It really all depends. San Antonio's looking to make a push to team him up with Wemby. Obviously, Kyle already mentioned the Celtics are looking to package a big deal to try to get him over to Boston and make it the four-headed monster that would be Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kristaps Porzingis. And then you add Damian Lillard. It's not like Boston doesn't have the assets. There's also been rumors in Philadelphia that they would swap James Harden for Damian Lillard, but they would also have to include Tyrese Maxey, who's an up-and-coming player. Philly doesn't want to let go of Maxey, so it's kind of been at a halt, at a standstill there. There's even more reports that Joel Embiid has been linked to New York because he's frustrated with the front office. But Kyle and I just saw reports, or not even reports, Kyle and I just saw uh, multiple posts that Tobias Harris, James Harden, and Joel Embiid were at the 76ers. Was it the 76ers owner, that celebrity that threw that whiteout party, Kyle? Uh, that was Michael Rubin who threw Michael that Michael Rubin. I didn't, I didn't know who that was, but somebody threw a big-ass party somewhere in the country or in the world. I don't know where it was. The point of the matter is the every, every celebrity who's anybody was at that, at that damn party, but James Harden and Tobias posted pictures of the three of them together looking like they had gotten over it, looking like they had come to a conclusion that they may run it back. James Harden still hasn't restructured a new deal. He still hasn't officially opted in. There is a, a lot going on right now in Philadelphia. And until they figure that out, I would probably say Dame stays away. But this free agency hasn't disappointed, man. There's a lot of names moving around, a lot of pieces and people being traded, draft capital being moved around. So I would definitely say it's been entertaining the last few weeks. Oh, Kev, just to give you uh, a little bit of a bio on Michael Rubin, the, the guy who threw that massive party where pretty much most of the athletes or a lot of famous celebrities went to what, this past weekend or so. Uh, he is the CEO of Fanatics. Ah. So, and the guy's net worth is over like $11 billion. This dude is, this dude is loaded. He's so, legit. Yeah. So he, bro, he definitely carries some weight within the industry for sure. But um, no, really just to, to kind of get back on topic here. Kev, I think you really kind of knocked it out of the park on this one. There's not really much left for me to add. Um, Pretty much the teams that you picked are the teams that I'm going to roll with here. So just kind of bear with me for the next couple of minutes. Um, I think the biggest winner when it comes to free agency within the NBA so far is probably the Lakers. And I think when I look at the Lakers, the reason why I have them in that position is simply just because they were able to retain some core pieces from last year that got them to the Western Conference Finals. You could look at getting Austin Reeves back into the fold. There was a real chance that Austin Reeves could have gone elsewhere, could have gotten a, a pretty sizable contract extension. There were rumors floating around that Austin Reeves could have 
potentially gotten at least 20 to $25 million a year where he could have made a potential $100 million contract. But he stays with the Lakers on what I would say is a pretty team-friendly deal under the circumstances that we were seeing uh, before the deal was actually signed. They only signed him to a four-year, $56 million deal. And that allowed some room to be shared around with guys getting re-signed like Roy Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell. You know, those guys were pivotal pieces that got the Lakers into position to the Western Conference Finals last year. R really, Roy Hachimura was somebody that really stepped up big for the Lakers in the playoffs. And D'Angelo Russell had his moments here and there with the Lakers. It's just unfortunate that he didn't really play out the snuff in the Western Conference Finals. But I think one of the biggest signings with the Lakers was Gabe Vincent. I was not expecting Gabe Vincent to go to the Lakers just based off of how effective he was for the Miami Heat. And look, when it comes to Miami Heat, they got all the way to the finals this year. And you could say that it was in large part due to Jimmy Butler, but Gabe Vincent was definitely one of those pieces that put the Heat in a position to win those pivotal games to get to the NBA Finals. And I wouldn't be surprised if Gabe Vincent really has a successful year with the Lakers coming up. It just depends on how well they utilize him uh, going into uh, the lead up into the preseason and then eventually uh, the NBA regular season once it gets started. So when it comes to the Lakers, I think the Lakers did a really good job retaining their, I would say most of their roster from last year. Granted, they did lose some pieces. Uh, they lost uh, Dennis Schroeder. They lost Malik Beasley. But in the grand scheme of things, it could have been a lot worse from just an overall roster perspective. So I think the Lakers did a pretty solid job here. And I think when you look at the NBA landscape, I think they're probably the the winners. I don't know if it's as clear cut and concise compared to some other teams, but that's somebody that I would put at the top of the heap. I'm going to go with Kevin on this one for my second team, the Dallas Mavericks. The, the Mavericks have been very active in this offseason so far. I was very surprised that they were able to re-sign Kyrie Irving. I didn't expect that uh, just based off of how the Mavs ended the regular season last year with missing the playoffs entirely. Uh, they were one of the Kev, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. They were one of the top four teams in the NBA at one point in the regular season, correct? Yeah, when we acquired Kyrie, we were fourth right before the trade. Yeah, and then they just kind of fell apart in the, I would say it kind of started before the All-Star break, and it just kind of continued going into the last quarter of the year. But the front office for Dallas has really kind of hit it out of the park as far as I've seen it. Uh, not only were they able to get Kyrie back into the fold, uh, they were able to get Seth Curry Kev was telling me this is his third stint in Dallas. So apparently they like Seth Curry's services in Dallas. And I wouldn't be surprised if they use him uh, coming off the bench in a pivotal role. I wouldn't be surprised if he averages somewhere in between about, I'd say maybe like 10 to 12 points coming off the bench going into next year. And then picking up guys like Grant Williams and then the the breaking news with uh, Matisse Thibel. That'd be very interesting to see just from an overall depth perspective, just because if they're able to make all those pieces work alongside Luka and Kyrie, this looks to be a pretty solid unit overall. The only thing that I'm going to focus on with Dallas is they still need a big because I don't believe that Dwight Powell and you could, you could say that, yeah, he brings a decent piece depth wise to their center position, but I don't think he's going to be as effective as Dallas's front office expects him to be. And Kev could talk about Dwight Powell all day, just because I know he has a lot to say about him. But it seems, to me, it seems to me that the weakest component of the Mavs so far is their center position. And it has been really ever since Tyson Chandler. And they really haven't been able to find a 
good replacement since Tyson Chandler. And that was almost 10 years ago at this point. So I do think that the Mavs are in a pretty solid position going into next year. I think they're going to be middle of the pack just based off of how this roster is constructed on paper. Granted, we will have to see how things play out once the season starts and barring some sort of injuries. But Dallas is definitely in a good position here. And then if I were to focus on just one more team to kind of throw into the mix here, I was thinking maybe throwing the Suns in just based on how much depth they brought into the fold. But I think I'm going to have to go with... Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Boston. I, just because I think Boston finally got a really good big with Porzingis. And when it comes to Boston, I think that Boston is not done with making some of their moves yet uh, in this offseason. I would not be surprised if Boston really goes for Damian Lillard here. Now, I am kind of playing things out in the future with this. If Boston were to able to land Damian Lillard, this completely changes the landscape of the NBA. And depending on what Boston could potentially give up in that trade, if they were able to retain their core roster with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, now you have Porzingis, and then you add Damian Lillard into the fold, that's an NBA Finals team. Now, granted, they could lose some depth in their bench, and that could definitely be something that they have to address. But you bring Dame into the fold alongside those three players that I just mentioned. That's a finals team as far as I see it. So we'll see what happens with Boston. If Boston were to make that move for Dame, they're definitely one of the winners of free agency as far as I see. Granted, it wouldn't be technically free agency because it would be a trade, but they would definitely be one of the teams that would win in the offseason just based off of picking up pieces uh, throughout the offseason before next season starts. So I'll kind of just limit it to those three teams in particular. Um, I, I just like the fact that Boston got Porzingis. I think they finally get a really good solidified big. I think he's going to be great for them just based off of the season that he had last year with the Wizards. And then to just kick it to the, the two teams that I mentioned with the Lakers and the Mavs, I think both of those teams are in prime position to have successful years this upcoming year. And we'll see how things play out. But like like I said in the uh, the lead up to the segment, uh, there are going to be more moves made by some teams over the next couple of days. So stay tuned for some of these upcoming moves that are go going to be made. And uh, we'll keep an eye out uh, for some big moves that could be made over the next couple of days. And speaking of moves, I'm actually scrolling through Twitter to see Legion Hoops put out that uh, apparently talks are heating up again for James Harden to go to the Clippers. They're potentially packaging P.J. Tucker and James Harden, but the Clippers are hesitant to come off of Terrence Mann and draft capital. So that's kind of where we are right now. But it looks like P.J. and James Harden could be in L.A. come next season. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, you know how I feel about James Harden in general, but this is his third trade request in four years. Every time things go away, looks like he wants to run. So it's, it's kind of it's awry. It, awry. Excuse me. I, it's not a good look for him. He's already one of the worst players in the league at, for doing things like this. But again, KD's also jump ship just as many times, so I can't really say anything there. But uh, that's one thing. Since you kind of legit ended the point of uh, moves are still being made, that just came up on my timeline right now as of like 10 minutes ago. So that's the latest in LA. But So in that actual trade rumor, granted, it's just a, it's just a report on Twitter. Yeah. Nothing about... Kawhi or PG being no, moved no, no. in that trade. They're not going to be in that. No. They, I think the Clippers owner already said PG is not going to be included in that one. 
And Kawhi is mean, not being traded at all. They're untouchable. It's, there it's were pretty, links that there was an offer to New York for Paul George, but I don't think that they would send him to Philly. I don't think they have enough. It'd be very interesting to see how that chemistry would potentially work out between James, Kawhi, and uh, PG. I, and Russell again. I know, because they signed Russ to a two-year deal. They, they, you know what's crazy is that Russ went from making, what, like $40, 45000000 million a year a couple years ago? To four. Yeah, he's making four a year. So. He made his money though. He got yeah, his super I mean, max a few years ago. He's good. Yeah, Him and the kids yeah. are set. He's still signed with Jordan on all the he'll fashion be, he'll industries. Be fine. He's fine. He'll be fine. But I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold on that potential three man trio just because Kev, we've seen this time and time again where these teams form these super teams, and it usually ends in disappointment. 100. percent So, and the difference, like when it comes to that potential trio, is James. We just don't know what he's going to bring to the table as far as the chemistry is concerned. Because Kev has made the point where I think that there have been times where he's been very critical of James, especially with potentially being looked at as selfish just from a perceptive look. But as far as I see it, you know, no matter what you could say about James' uh, personal character, the guy could still go out there and play. It's just that it, are those personal squabbles going to become a factor if James were to potentially be linked up with Kawhi and PG. So, you know, and you're already, you're already dealing with Russ as well, you know, and, and Russ has been known at times to kind of throw some interesting things into the mix when it comes to chemistry, but yeah, I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold on that, that possible three man trio. I know that Steve Ballmer would probably be excited about it. I know that man just gets giddy over the littlest of things. Yeah. Just, but I kind of guess we'll see how that one plays itself out. But my initial feeling on that one is I don't think it would actually work out for the Clippers in the long run. I mean, they've had Kawhi and PG for a couple of years. And Kevin, it feels like when it comes to those two, those two, they've been more off the court than on the court during their time 100%. with the Clippers. So Anthony Davis has played more games than the two of those two combined, I think. I know. And Anthony Davis has been literally joked at for being injured every time that he like gets hit. So it's like if somebody breathes on him, he's out for a week. But you know, when it comes to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they've relatively been left off the hook when it comes to slander. Yeah. I know Twitter would have a field day with Anthony Davis, but when it comes to PG and uh, Kawhi, they've been, they've been quiet on those two, which I'm actually kind of surprised by. That's a fact. And since we're on the topic of, negative aspect of some of these bigger deals that have gone on in NBA history, or should I say in, in recent history, Kyle, I got to ask you, we talked about the good and we talked about some of the better signings and what we thought about teams that have made improvements. Now we got to talk about the opposite side of free agency. So what do you think are some teams that either failed to make enough moves or made the wrong moves this free agency? There's a couple teams. Kev, we were looking at, um, Legion Hoops has a really good free agency tracker that keeps track of all the uh, the guys that have signed to their respective teams. And there's really two teams in particular that I could look at that have really made no moves whatsoever. And that is the Detroit Pistons and the Atlanta Hawks. They've made no deals whatsoever. And when it comes to both the, the Pistons and the Hawks, well, both of them reside in the Eastern Conference. And the Hawks have been relatively competitive over, over the last couple of years. But you got to make some sort of moves to be able to kind of keep pace with the rest of the NBA. And when it comes to the Hawks, I mean, the Hawks were in a play in tournament situation last year and 
you know, they just weren't able to kind of figure their way uh, to make any sort of deep playoff run last year, despite having some decent pieces to work with. And you would kind of think that their front office would make some sort of adjustment to counteract that. But they really haven't made any sort of significant moves to bolster this roster going into next year. So when I look at it, the Hawks, I think, are going to relatively stay in the same position that I think that they're going to be in. They're going to be kind of like an outside playoff team, potentially. They might make a playing tournament type deal here. But it just seems like the Hawks are leaving potential players that they could bring into the fold to bolster this roster out there for other teams to sign. And I think when it comes to the Hawks, I wouldn't be surprised if the Hawks really kind of take a step back this year and they miss the playoffs entirely. And they missed the play-in tournament entirely as well. You know, teams in the Eastern Conference are getting stronger. You know, we can look at the teams like Cav- the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They, they made a couple moves to really kind of bolster this roster and, and bring some of their core players back into the fold. Uh, some of the some teams like the Bulls, the Bulls are re-signing some core players as well. The same goes with the Bucks. So the Eastern Conference is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of months or so. But if you're looking at this from the Hawks' perspective, it, they're just not really doing anything to kind of gain some sort of momentum going into the season. And then when it comes to the, the Pistons, Kev, we've talked about the Pistons time and time again. Kev, they're one of the black holes of the NBA. This is essentially where essentially careers either become stagnant or honestly, careers just die. And we can even look to someone like Blake Griffin when he went to the Detroit Pistons a couple of years ago, went there on a huge contract and pretty much did not much with with the time that he had with the Detroit Pistons. So when it comes to the Pistons, I don't really expect much from them. They're a team that's really kind of fallen by the wayside as far as NBA standards are concerned. They're a team that really headed in any sort of positive direction. And unless they really kind of turn things around before uh, the NBA season starts, I I think they're going to kind of be in a similar situation. Granted, they are a young team, and there's a potential that this team could improve um, over the next couple of years because of the depth that they've added uh, through the NBA draft. But I just don't really see it right now when it comes to the Pistons. So just to kind of keep this relatively short, uh, the two teams I'm really most disappointed by in, in this free agency period are the Atlanta Hawks and the Detroit Pistons. I think they left some players out there that they could have signed on the table. And other teams went out and made the moves to go get those players. And I think when it comes to both these teams, I think they're going to relatively struggle uh, going into next year. They just didn't really do anything to impress me to build up their roster. And because of that, I... There's no really momentum. There's no momentum moving forward with both of these teams. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. Well, as Kyle talks about, I'm looking at the Legion Hoops tracker right now. Shout out to Legion Hoops. This is incredible. and Insanely organized, very clear cut, concise. Kyle already talked about, right? Two teams that did absolutely nothing. Outside of trading away John Collins and alleviating the remaining cap that his contract remained on their, on their total, I guess, team salary cap budget, um, the Atlanta Hawks have done nothing, so there's that. I'd probably say one team for me that needed to do things that people aren't talking about for the sake of their franchise is the Portland Trailblazers. They had a multitude of opportunities to trade the number three overall pick, to keep Dame happy. They didn't. They got Scoot. And the first thing you do is sign Jeremy Grant to a five-year, $160 million contract because that's what Dame wants? You went after no free agents within the first couple of hours of free agency, and then, uh, and then Dame requested trade. It's like, 
I can't really comprehend if they really thought about making sure that their superstar, their loyal megastar, the best player in their franchise's history outside of uh, Bill Walton and Clyde the Glide Drexler, they didn't do anything. They said they were committed oh, so many times all offseason long. We want to build around Dame. We want to do this for Dame. This is a, still a winning team. Da 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 The winning culture. And all you did was sign Jeremy Grant. That's horrible. Portland loses this. If they don't trade Dame and get a haul in return, this potentially, as of right now during free agency, is a failure for me. Then you have to go to Houston. I know that people are talking about, oh, Houston got better with, with uh, some of the players that they acquired with Fred Van Fleet. He's bringing championship mentality. He's a consistent point guard in this league. Then you got Dylan Brooks, who may not be known for anything good because of what he did last season throughout the playoffs and the regular season where he was talking but not backing it up with his game. But then you talk about how much money you paid him. Is Dylan Brooks really worth $20 million a season? I don't think so. But what do I know? And then you go and you sign Jack Lambert, Landale, a backup center for the the the, the Phoenix Suns. Like what who are these people? You spent two hundred and ten million dollars on two people that shoot under forty percent from the field. Not from three. Under forty percent from the field. Fred Van Fleet, guys, is making more money than Kyrie Irving. Do they have the same number of championships? Absolutely. But there's there's clear cut and concise differences in their games. You know what I'm saying? Like one guy can go out there and get you 40 points a night if he really wanted to. And then the other guy's out here pulling from 35 plus feet. Kyle, I actually sent you that hilarious video of of uh, Fred pulling from like 30 plus feet and then uh, Gary Trent Jr. like turns around before he even pulls because he knows. I got it right here. It's hysterical because it's like, yes, reports came out that Fred and Pascal Siakam were frustrated with the youth and some of the actions of those players on the Raptors last season. But then you got video evidence of Fred pulling in the first quarter. So before people go in and react and say, oh, you don't know the circumstances, it was the first quarter, and there was like 22 seconds on the shot clock. Like, the ball just crossed half court and he pulled. So I don't want to hear that the, the, the younger players were disgruntled. They were probably disgruntled because Fred's out here taking shots like that all game, which is why he shot under 40% from the field. So Houston still has Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. and Fred Van Fleet, and now they have Dylan Brown, all these things, right? Are you gonna, is that going to move the needle in the Western Conference? And to me, it doesn't even come close. You got players on your roster, but that doesn't make your team better. You got a bunch of ball hogs on your team, and you got a guy that doesn't know how to shut up. Yes, Dylan Brooks can play defense. He's a pest. He's what you need. But offensively, I don't really know what happens because they also traded Kenyon Martin Jr. to the Clippers, and that was one of their other younger and up-and-coming stars. So if you ask me, the losers for me are Portland because they failed to retain Dame, keep him happy, and their first priority was signing Jeremy Grant to a crazy deal. And then you got to go to the to the Rockets, spending well over 200-some-odd million dollars on two specific players that aren't necessarily going to make you immediately better. But, you know, obviously there's a bunch of different teams you can really go down the list and be like, well, what did you do? Philly hasn't done much. They signed Patrick Beverly. I mean, I don't know what that does for you. Um, the Hornets go and they get LaMelo Ball signed, but LaMelo hasn't really done much to earn 260. So can, you can really kind of look at that one like a question mark. Like, really, that's what you did? Um, the Clippers got Russell and Mason Plumley back. I do low-key like what the Grizzlies are doing. They got Desmond Bannon a big deal. They got Derrick Rose. They got Marcus Smart. So they're they're bringing back that those guards, but they're also giving Jaw some veteran leadership because clearly he needs it. And I mean, 
the Thunder haven't really done anything, but they have a young enough team to where they don't need to do a whole lot. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of questionable things right now. But, again, st- things are still going on. Moves are still being made. Reports are still coming out. I mean, legit, right before we started recording, we talked about Grant Williams, me, and Kyle personally, and then Thibel goes and, and signs the offer sheet with the Mavericks. So I'm just looking at this trying to figure out if something else popped off. But this is the best part of summertime. I love the fact that free agency is a whole buzz for the whole summer because after the draft, free agency always begins. The big names usually fall pretty quickly, but trade rumors start coming out. Offer sheets start getting signed. Restricted free agents get matched. More trades happen. And then you got issues at minicamp, people holding out. There's going to be a lot of stuff throughout the NBA. So I'm excited for the next few weeks. But, I mean, it hasn't disappointed this far. No, and... I think at this point, there's going to be plenty of more signings and deals that are going to be made over the next couple of days. They're going to involve some big pieces here. So uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. Um, when it comes to the NBA, I mean, honestly, like this is pretty much the only thing that you know Kevin and I are really going to cover when it comes to like this point in the summer, just because, Kevin, when it comes to the summertime, when it comes it's to just baseball right topics, now, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty much it. So, and, you know, football... Granted, uh, training camp starts in what three weeks? Something like that, yeah. You know, it's gonna be a little OTAs bit more time. are starting like really soon. Like official mandatory camps start real soon, though. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at it for training camp. I know training camp usually starts at the end of July for most yeah. of these teams. They but I know the smaller like, camps are starting really soon. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to uh, the NBA, at least it gives us something to talk about. And and baseball has just kind of been going through the dog days. All star break this point. is here. Yeah. So, um. Granted, you know, we'll have plenty more to talk about when it comes to the NBA, when it comes to some of these players being moved and when these deals get signed. Uh, but we are going to transition to uh, one final topic, and that is going to be UFC 290. Um, Kev, do you have a tab pulled up for that? Or I could just kind of go from here. Just take the call. I didn't, I didn't get to pull the tab up. I just kept looking up free agency stuff. My bad. No, no worries. Um, so kind of like a, kind of like what I said at the uh, top of the episode, uh, we got a big UFC uh, fight card this upcoming weekend. This is UFC 290, uh, International Fight Week. We got two big name fights here. Uh, both of these are title fights, and you know, just kind of looking at the, uh, I'm actually gonna pull up the uh, the whole fight card here, just so I can give you guys a, a rundown of what we're seeing transpire this weekend. So I'll just go from the topic, just kind of work my way down. Um, when it comes to these fights, um, the main uh, the main event is going to be Alexander Volkanovsky versus Yair Rodriguez. Our co-main event is going to be Brandon Moreno versus Alexandre Pentoja. I'm probably saying that guy's name wrong. Um, after that, we've got Robert Whitaker fighting, fighting against Dupli. Uh, we've got Jalen Turner going up against Dan Hooker. And then we've got Bo Nickel going up against Val Woodburn. Uh, I know that uh, when it came to Bo Nickel, he was supposed to fight Gore uh, that fight was canceled because I think Gorg sustained some sort some sort of injury, so they got Woodburn to replace him. But when it comes to that Bo Nickel Woodburn fight, I think it's going to be an absolute route. I, I was reading a report before we started recording where supposedly Bo Nickel is the biggest favored fighter in the history of the UFC. I, it's a ridiculous odds in favor of Bo Nickel. I, I think Bo wins that one relatively easily. That's despite the fact that Woodburn has a seven and zero record in MMA, but I think Bo Nickel is going to just wipe the floor with him. Uh, this this Dan Hooker fight is going to be very interesting. Dan Hooker is someone who's been in the 
UFC realm for quite some time now. He still kind of gets my attention whenever I see him come up on a card. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see him uh, fight against Jalen Turner this upcoming weekend. It's actually a fight that I'm relatively looking forward to. This whole main card is really solid from top to bottom as far as I see it. This is probably one of the stronger UFC cards that we've seen this entire year. You could even make a case this is probably the strongest UFC card that we've seen this year so far. And then when it comes to this Robert Whitaker uh, Duplee fight, this is going to be a great fight as far as I've seen it. When it comes to Robert Whitaker, Whitaker has just been a phenomenal fighter in that middleweight division. I mean, the only person he's really lost to over the last couple of years has been Israel Adesanya. And Israel Adesanya is the current middleweight champion in the UFC. And, you know, you take Israel Adesanya out of the equation, you can make a very good case that Robert Whitaker is probably at the top of the heap when it comes to the middleweight division. So it's it's not something to be ashamed of when you lose to Israel Adesanya. But when it comes to Whitaker against Duplee, I think this is going to be a great fight. You know, Robert Whitaker has been a solid fighter in that middleweight division. But Duplee is very solid as well. He's 19-2 going into this fight. And look, there's a lot of momentum behind this fight because I wouldn't be surprised if the winner of this fight potentially goes up against Israel Adesanya for that middleweight title down the road. Um, but this is a pivotal fight for both of these guys, and I'm looking forward to it uh, very much so when it takes place on Saturday. And then we go into our championship fights. This is... Um, We'll start with the co-main event, and then we'll go work to the main event. Uh, Brandon Moreno is the current flyweight champion. Um, he's been really one of the more consistent champs in that flyweight division. It was really him and uh, Figueiredo out of Brazil that really kind of went back and forth in that flyweight division. But Moreno has really kind of taken uh, that flyweight title, and he's really put a clamp down on it. But you're going up against uh, Petoa, who's 25-5. and five. It's going to be very interesting to see how Moreno will be able to counteract someone like that who's been very successful uh, within his MMA career. But I'm very much looking forward to see Brandon Moreno keep that belt. Um, he's been a very successful flyweight fighter. And I wouldn't be surprised if he maintains that title uh, after Saturday is over and done with. And then we really go into what I look at is the best fight of the night. And that's Alexander Volkanovsky going, going up against uh, Yair Rodriguez. Uh, this is going to be a great fight as far as I see it. Um, when you look at Volkanovski, Volkanovski's last fight was going up against Islam Makhachev, which was a very competitive fight. And you could even make the case that the judges may have gotten that one wrong and they give Islam that win over Volkanovski compared to... You could make a case that, from what I saw, that Volk may have won that fight. Very close fight as far as I see it. But Alexander Vol Volkanovski is one of the most successful fighters in the UFC over the last five years. But going up against someone like, someone like Yair Rodriguez, Yair can win this title and uh, unify this featherweight division. Yair has been extremely successful over the last couple of years. And I believe his most recent victory came against Emmett. And he did that in relatively easy fashion. But when I look at this Volk fight versus Yair Rodriguez, this is really kind of one of those situations where you had Volk, who has really been that person at the forefront within the featherweight division. And then you got Yair, Yair Rodriguez, who's really coming into his own. He's only 30 years old compared to Volk, who's 34. This could be one of these situations where Yair may take that step to try to get that title away from Volk, even though that Volk has been one of the more consistent champs that we've seen in the UFC over the last couple of years. One of the biggest things for me when it comes to Yair is, can his cardio hold up against Volkanovski just because Volkanovski's cardio is on a completely different level 
Volk is just a beast as far as I see it, but Yair, Yair is right there when it comes to competitiveness. So this is going to be a great fight. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if this fight goes the distance, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up in either a TKO or a knockout as well. So when it comes to this UFC 290 card, I'm looking forward to this very much. I'm definitely going to be glued to my TV on Saturday night when this card gets going. And uh, we'll see how things play out on Saturday, but it should be a very fun UFC 290 card as far as I see it. Going to be a loaded, jam-packed weekend. A um, lot of stuff going on. A lot of games. The All-Star game for baseball is coming up, so we're in that midway point. NBA free agency is in the swing. And and NHL free agency is in the swing. Um, and then you got the fight. So it's going to be a pretty pretty busy weekend, to be honest. It's going to be pretty good. Yeah, for sure. But, um, Kev, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. There's, there's not really much left to go over unless you have something that's on your mind. I know the Yankees lost. So that's what it is. Can't be mad. The, Took the first two. So we got another game. Hopefully we'll take the series. Could be worse, right? We'll see what happens. You're wearing the enemy's color, so I'll let it slide. Oh, well, I like the shirt. So this is what it is. But no, uh, that pretty much wraps it up uh, for you, for us today, you guys. So uh, once again, uh, thank you guys for tuning in, whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube. Uh, we definitely appreciate the support. Guys, it's just that time of the year where content is going to be kind of hit and miss. So just kind of bear in mind with that over the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, we will start ramping up for football once training camp really starts getting close and we'll start making kind of our 2023 uh, NFL projections and previews once we get to that point. But it's still going to be a while before we get to that point. And, uh, We'll just kind of keep our eye on the NBA free agency and potential moves that are made within the next couple of days or so. So we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Kev, I got nothing more to add. I'll let you uh, close it out from here, bro. All right. It's been a little bit, guys. Like Kyle said, content's kind of dry, but we're going to make it work. We're going to figure it out like we always do. We appreciate the support, whether or not that was on social media platforms, audio, or YouTube in general. So we'll make sure that we continue to do our best, and we'll see you guys soon. Take it easy, guys. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.